It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG. Make the difference. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a still morning in early December, and I'm out walking along the river Usk with my dog Idris. And I'm watching the river just do its thing, flowing over the rapids. It's been a dependable friend through this very difficult year, and it just gets on with things. And I found it a great solace. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. And sadly, this is the last in the current series. But in it, we're looking forward to the future, and 2021 in particular. So recently, I met up with Jules Hudson in his garden in Herefordshire, just a few miles over the border in England. Jules is the presenter of the daytime TV series, Escape to the Country. And he's recently written a book about how anyone can throw off the shackles of urban life and head out to live the rural dream. He's got so much good advice, and we had a brilliant chat. So for anyone having that dream, do listen on. And as it is the last in the series, and while I'm sitting here serenely by the river, I'd like to wish you a very happy Christmas and a brilliant, happy and wholesome New Year. Here's Jules. So I'm in the garden of Jules Hudson, who people will know from Countryfile and Escape to the Country is your sort of... I suppose that's the most uh, well-known thing. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. 13, 14 years now I've been on Escape. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, 13, 14 years, you've seen a lot of... You have escaped to the country. That's the thing. I absolutely have, yes. You are in the middle of beautiful Herefordshire countryside. So we're, we're looking towards some hills... What are they over there? What you can see over there is, is, the, is the view across Northwood, really, across the Wye Valley. So between us and those hills is the Wye itself, meandering its way down from Hay uh, and mid-Wales where it starts. And it cuts right across this landscape from left to right and eventually, of course, going through Hereford itself mm-hmm. uh, and then Monmouth. Uh, those hills over there, that's Creddon Hill. 
Uh, just below that is the uh, SAS camp, Sterling Lines. Uh, okay. So nice military connection, obviously, to the you area. Have a, you have a military past. So I do. Yeah. I have, well, indeed, in many respects, a military present because I rejoined the army back in 2016. Uh, I think it was my midlife crisis phase, to be honest. <laughs> and I rejoined the army and joined my local engineering regiment, the Royal Monmouthshire Royal Engineers. Went back to Sandhurst uh, in 2017. That was quite interesting, quite tough. Well, going back to school again. Okay. It was, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was tough enough when I went there originally back in 1993 at 23, but doing it again at 47 uh, was really tough, but had a great group of peers with me. And, yeah, very proudly um, eventually got my commission uh, into the Army, so I'm now a lieutenant in the Royal Monmouthshire Royal Engineers. Back in the Army. Goodness, well done. Was it? Did they get you doing all these assault courses? Oh yeah, all of that. Oh, yeah, all of, drills. Yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting going back, and of course, you are absolutely removed from your comfort zone. And I think, in many respects, it's not bad to do that every now and then. Actually, mm. it does does kind of allow you to measure are. yourself somewhat, <laughs> <laughs> see where the gaps are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about it. Well, rather you than me. I'm, I'm, I'm very sedentary. But, uh, <laughs> Believe you me, there were plenty of times when I thought twice about it. So that's the side of you people watching Escape won't have seen, really. Um, no. Is, or your, your army side. That's quite interesting. Well, yeah, the army side, and I suppose my previous life, prior to being a presenter, working in production. I've been in TV now for 25 years, but I guess half of that career was in production. So that's the making of, of, of TV shows. It's been a really fascinating career, but it has meant that I've been able to do almost every job going within uh, TV and its sort of strata, I suppose. And I think that experience I, I wouldn't be without now. I think, you know, as a broadcaster and, and presenter, it, it really helps to know what's involved in the craft of, of filmmaking. Yeah, I'll just turn up and uh, yeah. get, get you. Yeah. I'm ready for my close-up. Ready for my latte, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that's a world unknown to me, I have to confess, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think for me, and I'm sure, well, you know, Fergus, as well, you know, we both work in very creative industries, and, and the buzz of it, actually, is that creative collaboration with your colleagues mm. and friends. You know, a, a week spent filming Escape is a week with friends, working hard, playing hard, uh, trying to do the best that we can. And yeah. I think that, for me, is why it's exciting. If it, if it was a job that was uh, turn up, stand here, say that, I don't think it would be for me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's clear that you love Escape. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun to make. For people who haven't seen it, can you describe it? So if, if, if you've never seen this show, how would I describe it? If you had an ambition to want to live in the countryside and you identified a budget and you identified an area of the country that you thought was right for you but you didn't really know where to start on searching for properties or really understanding what that particular market would offer escape is absolutely tailor-made for you we will take your budget we will take your plans your hopes your family profile if you will your dna and we will apply that to the property market and we will use our experience to identify three or four properties that we think would fit the bill. We will then take you out on the road. We will look after you. Uh, we will show you those properties. Uh, and all that we ask in return is that we can film the process. Yeah. Uh, so it's a property finding expedition. And I've always said this, it's a great privilege to share that experience with our buyers because it is a very personal undertaking. Um, but it's been a great joy over, as we said earlier, 
14 years now nearly that I've yes. had the chance to be a part of Escape to the Country with my colleagues uh, in the Escape family, other presenters as well. Um, but we all do absolutely love it. And, and for me, I think because I've always lived a country life and always loved the countryside and, and all the kind of issues that go with it, to share that with people who perhaps have never had that experience is a real privilege. And, and I just love sharing it, which is why, you know, ultimately I decided to write the Escapes of the Country handbook to try yeah. to draw together the lessons that I've learned from my own personal experience of rural life, but also the experience I've shared with many buyers up and down the country. I think that's really interesting because um, the rural dream is a big part of country farm, really. I mean, a lot of people watch it on Sunday evenings or buy the magazine and buy the magazine because there's this deep-seated connection to the countryside and perhaps there's this idea to go and live there again or to to live there for the first time and so escape takes that to the practical level of turning that dream into reality i think it does and i think and, and, and i'm interested to know what you think of this Fergus. actually i mean my own take is that as britons we have a peculiarly close relationship with the countryside you know not every country has this aspiration or, or, or kind of eulogy to the countryside that we have and I, I think if you go back not that many generations to pre-industrial revolution early 18th century most of us would have lived in one form or another in the countryside and the countryside has always been the great provider if you will for fuel for sustenance for water uh, and of course raw materials and no surprise that the industrial revolution started in the countryside and the sources of those materials spawn some of our greatest industrial cities and urban centres that we now recognise today but I do think we have a peculiar love of it here in Britain and I think there is something that we all hark back to which is this idea of a simpler calmer easier life and these days when we're bombarded with information and adverts mm. and, and rolling news and all that stuff you do sort of feel that you want to just switch off and just take it all in. I mean, let, let's go through here. I'll yeah, show you yeah, this, this view. Is, this is a rather perfect place to explain that. That's very interesting. The, the, it's a se seeking peace, contentment and tranquility. Uh, here we are beside a sort of Dutch barn type thing. And it's quite a... Yes, this is an old tin barn, which yeah. was probably put up about 100 odd years ago. I think around the turn of the First World War. I, I personally like a corrugated barn. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something really interesting about the way that corrugated iron was developed in the Victorian period and how, we, how we've used it since. I think it's making a bit of a resurgence actually, but yes, there's certainly wobbly old barn, blessed it, it, it soldiers on. But we've just come now into um, a lovely little paddock that we're lucky enough to own that overlooks this gorgeous view of yeah, the Y and on a hills gentle hills in the very far distance those must be the hills those are Welsh hills aren't they it's that is Radnorshire sort of area exactly right exactly right and you can just see over there uh, the corner of Hay Bluff oh, uh, and the Black Mountains just yes, to our left true. but we're facing due west pretty much the sunset over there is absolutely stunning uh, whatever you've got nothing impeding that from here to well deepest Powys really yeah uh, whatever the time of year yeah. the sunsets are gorgeous they, the sun of course does creep round slightly as the year moves on <laughs> yeah. but yeah you're right looking right into the heart of wales and for me i guess having the chance to live here is interesting because i spent most of my life uh adult life i guess living in wales in the cambrian mountains of west wales sort of two hours further west from where we are now so for me 
it's lovely to be able to come here and look across this landscape at Wales, which I've long regarded as my spiritual home, I suppose. Um, but here we are connected across these borderlands uh, and it's just gorgeous. And I, I think for anybody, whether you are a devout city dweller or not, the chance to look at a view like this and just reflect and have that moment, short or long, whatever you can manage on life and where it's taking you, I think it's is just so important. Yeah, so people are actually looking for that, to buy somewhere, to buy that sort of view and to live, live I it out. I, I think they are, and I think recent events, of course, have persuaded... Well, that's well, really... I'm very interested in talking <laughs> about... You know, there has been a change, but you all know more about that, being on the front line of sort of property. Well, obviously, we've, we've for many years, you know, um, catered for, for, for this aspiration that many of us have as Brits to live in the countryside but there's no doubt that lockdown has accelerated those ambitions in the minds of a great many people for some it's brought existing plans forward um, for others it's perhaps brought those plans forward for the first time and they've maybe thought actually do we really want to live in the city do we have to live here in a town or a city any longer and i think one of the things that lockdown has done is is revolutionized our relationship with work and where we work i mean clearly there are many professions where you can't work from home in many roles. But for those that can, I think those employers that are prepared to break what I've often referred to as a rather feudal relationship between employer and workplace that says you have to be at this desk, you have to be in this building, and therefore by default you have to do this sort of commute and you have to live in this sort of place. You have to have this sort of sandwich at lunchtime. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you know. Uh, and of course all the on-costs of commuting and the environmental costs and the mental costs, which we're increasingly aware of that stranglehold I think is absolutely fundamentally changed in the last few months in a way that I never would have foreseen in my own lifetime uh, and I think it is propelling people out to the countryside certainly this year 2020 we've been back on the road filming escape since June uh, and we've seen house sales go through the roof uh, and the numbers of properties which are selling even those properties which have been hanging around on the market for a very long time are being snapped up by That's buyers really eager to move and, and make something of it. And I, my hope is that that trend sustains. It, it cannot continue at the same sort of levels that we've seen over the last few months, I think, as, as 2020 sort of plays itself out. But I think my own hope, and I know we, we've talked about this before, is that we see a resurgence in community life and in bringing new blood and new life into many of our rural you, you communities. You mentioned it as a, as a rural... Um, revolution that we could see I mean that's I think it is a real revolution I mean, we, we talked about the industrial revolution and of course that transformed the world didn't it back in the 18th century and then up into the 19th century and beyond I mean we are standing in a an industrialized world beautiful as this view is look across it and you will see elements of industry but I do think we could now see another industrial revolution which is bringing people back to the countryside albeit doing different sorts of jobs but an industrial revolution which is predicated not upon the old technologies of iron and steel, but on the new technologies of fibre yeah. and, of course, increased connectivity. And I think we could see that. And it would be lovely to think that we will see rural communities outside of the normal sort of path that most people will follow when they think of escaping to the country. They will be able to go further afield, find better value for money and bring new life and new energy and dynamism to many of our rural communities which so desperately need it yeah well essentially you're talking about younger people yeah because i think a lot of my experience of that diaspora to the countryside from the city has been people 
perhaps empty nesters, a little bit older, retirees heading to the countryside. And that obviously changes the dynamic of local communities. If you've got an older population coming in and reinforcing itself. But to have young working people out in remote villages could could change, could be a big change then. I, I think it would be a very welcome change. And I think one of the things that we've seen over many, many years is, of course, the youth of rural communities being attracted, no surprise, for many good reasons, to the bright lights of cities, to yeah. get themselves established in careers uh, and industries. But we may potentially, in, in not that many years' time, see that trend reverse, so that if you are born and bred in a rural community, it is potentially possible that you could get your feet into a career that may be centred on an urban centre somewhere else, but you could undertake that role from within your your rural community. Um, And wouldn't that be lovely to think that you wouldn't have to move and up sticks? I mean, many people on Escape have done over the years who have left, say, Somerset or West Wales or Scotland and gone to the smoke to do what they've done. They've brought up their children, they've got their careers established, the kids have flown the nest, and now they're relocating back to where they started. Yeah, you Uh, never lose that desire, that that, that connection, that belonging, sense of belonging to... Absolutely. I mean, the Welsh have a lovely word for it, hiraith. Hiraith. And, um, yeah, looking across there, as we did earlier, into the heart of... Longing for home. Of Wales. That, yeah, it is. It is that longing for home. And I think, we, you know, we all have that. And, and home isn't necessarily where you're born. It's, it's where you feel most at home, I yeah, think. And there are many reasons that can conjure that. But, yeah, wouldn't it be lovely that we could see uh, the working population be able to have a greater choice in, in where they work and how they work? You know, if you want to get up at five in the morning and finish it too because you've got something else on or you need to sort something else on your house or, or whatever, why not? Allow yeah. people that freedom. Trust go, them. Go to give... the shops. Go to the local shop. Well, that's another yeah. thing, I suppose. You can go to the butcher, the greengrocer, the candlestick maker. Uh, instead of coming home tired after the commute and dashing to the supermarket to get your sort of ready meals, you can actually go and support those local businesses. I mean, there's, there seems to be... I mean, I know it's not all roses, a bed of roses, but there seems to be lots of benefits from having people because you and I both chronicled the decline of rural transport and schools and services all of these things are fueled by demand and if if this in some way in some communities can bolster that demand and keep those services available whether it's the post office the pub the bus route the local school all of those things you know that's got to be a good thing it won't be the golden bullet for everybody and you know there are clearly downsides to homeworking as well let's be clear we are social creatures you and i both know from our own creative industries we need people to work together we need them ideally to be in an office sharing that creative initiative that they have and sharing ideas and enjoying working with other people enjoying the bars of office life it's not all bad you know let's be honest you don't go to creative industries for the money (laughs) (laughs) that's absolutely for sure i think you know for our rural communities it it does potentially offer I think a a, a picture of how they may develop and may retard what in many areas has been an inexorable sort of decline Uh, so back to the book in the book which I have read or certainly skimmed intently (laughs) (laughs) um, because it's that sort of book it's a dip in or outer absolutely um, it's got lots of advice practical advice when you're looking and you know assessing what needs doing to these to a house and you've been telling me about your house and that's the sort of you know major projects there that you've got to be aware of if you're but also there's lots of advice about where to look and 
in 14 years you've seen a lot of parts of the UK <laughs> yes. where, where, what has surprised you most which area would you sort of say gosh I did not expect that and you know had, if I was not living in this lovely bit of Herefordshire gosh that's such a difficult question I mean I think one of the the, the things that I would never trade in my life is that throughout my different careers I've always had the opportunity to travel around the UK and I've loved that I love traveling I love seeing different parts of it so one of the things I really wanted to do with the book was to enliven people to other parts of the UK that aren't just the southwest and yeah. Devon we get lots of people doing that because obviously they go on holiday there and it's it's an it's a natural kind of idea to think well we, we know that from our holidays let's go and live it's the there. same with our covers Lake District Cornwall Devon Yorkshire those sort of places are always starring roles and we sell more magazines and i and I, th- I think um i mean obviously with escape we we tailor our search to what our buyers are, are looking for mm. they will direct us to the areas that they particularly prefer but there are many instances when i will talk to them uh, sometimes you know on camera but but often it's not over dinner or a few beers in the evening uh, and it will become obvious that actually the lifestyle that they are seeking is far more achievable in a different part of the country for a more reasonable amount of money than perhaps in the area that they've elected for us to search in. Uh, And that's easy for me to say because I know the country well and I know the property market across it very well. But if you don't know, for example, what the delights of Shropshire are, because you've never been there, and we can see, if we were were another 200 feet up in the air, we'd be looking probably at the top of Clee Hill, northward, right up the spine of the borders from here, seeing Shropshire. Um, Skylark. Yeah, it, 200 feet up at the moment. Right? There you yeah. go. Yeah, he, yeah. he can see it. <laughs> he or she's got a brilliant view. But, uh, you know, I think if you're not enlivened to those areas and those possibilities, um, you are missing out. So one of the reasons I wrote the book was to not only share my own experience of country life and of renovation and my experience of historic rural property and the lifestyle that goes with it and community and all of that stuff, but also to identify 10 areas which I feel capture the essence of the variation that you get so not the obvious these are the sort of um, plan b's type but but that, that makes them sound lesser they're not it's I think just that they, they're discoveries right? if you're not familiar with them and i would say one of the one of the joys of the book has been to also incorporate alternative suggestions so if you are thinking we'd love to go and live in cornwall we've been on a holiday we love a coastal life okay great we'll take you to Cornwall no problem however have you ever considered Pembrokeshire okay uh for me Pembrokeshire would win out over Cornwall because it's less seasonal so life is more stable it goes on all year round the range of property that's on offer is absolutely gorgeous and of course beautiful beaches you get the same sort of lifestyle that you would achieve in Cornwall I totally agree for better value for money Mm. um it's actually not much further to go either it's a lot closer, actually, if you're coming from the from the Midlands or or London, for yeah. example. Yes, I think that's one of the fallacies is that Cornwall is is Pembrokeshire's miles away, but actually the motorway takes you most of them. Yeah, it's two hours from the bridge. You know, it's very, very the Seven Bridge. It's very, very close. Um, and also, likewise, if you are attracted by the gorgeous honey-coloured stone of the Cotswolds wow it's going to cost you uh however if you've never been there go and explore the villages around northamptonshire Mm, the same vein of limestone pops up there and gives you some absolutely gorgeous property people wouldn't know that people wouldn't think of northamptonshire it's Uh, it's, again it's one of those midlands counties that gets really overlooked always overlooked and again the wolds of lincolnshire will give you similar sort of style of property Mm, as well and a much better value for money. So I wanted to share those tips with people, but also to address some of the the big issues that always come up. So should we buy a thatched property? 
yeah, there are pros and cons to that. So there's a whole chapter on living with thatch. Some people will come to us and say, Jules, we don't want a listed building because we can't do anything to it. Well, as you can see, Fergus, there's my home over there. It is listed. We've had to do an awful lot to it. Yeah. It is doable. You know, these things are achievable. Don't be put off by listed buildings because if you ignore them, you are walking away from, I think, some of the most impressive and interesting historic property that is on the market. It's listed because it's interesting. And if you yeah. don't want to see one, you are absolutely going to miss out. So we talk about listed properties. We talk about... The ambition for many to uh, own and run holiday lets as a way of funding their move yes. to, to the country and looking at you know future income and, and, and pensions and that sort of stuff. Because you know yeah. we're looking at a landscape there which has evolved over thousands of years. Yes, it's a beautiful view, but if like me you're an anorak landscape archaeologist, you can look at that view and read it. And there are things you can see in this which represent change. And that fundamentally is what the story of the countryside, and when taken as a whole, the story of Britain and any country really is about it's a story of change and we can chart that in our landscape and in our buildings and you can become part of that story Re reading jules's book yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. absolutely uh, it is a lovely beautiful patchwork and little copses and um, just to give a listeners a sort of sense of it's 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 archety archetypal sort of rolling beautiful herefordshire with scattered villages a bit of wood smoke it's when we first moved here, one of our new neighbours said to us, um, the thing I love about this region is that it always has a view. And that may sound a bit crazy, talking about any, any home in any rural uh, location across the British Isles. But I think Herefordshire particularly is blessed with some stunning views. Of course, the Lake District is as well, and the Highlands, and etc., etc. But I think certainly here in the western side of the county, as you say, we've got these lovely rolling hills which flow around the roots of the valley the Y itself uh, and you know you can see these vanishing points going off into the mm. distance you're just sort of begging to know what's around that corner what's in that cleft what's beyond that horizon uh, and I say we're very lucky here to look across westward into the heart of of mid Wales as well uh, and across south to the Black Mountains which I think today really are showing why why they've got that name yes. they are always dark they're very brooding aren't they? yeah the wherever side, the sun is yeah um, um, Fundamentally, I do think property and the buying of property is a very emotional prospect. I think you need to have a love affair, if you will, with the region, not just with the building itself. And I think understanding where you want to go and immersing yourself in that particular part of the world is so important. So if you are thinking of making the move as and when you can, rent something for a week oh, or that's two a good idea. Yeah. just try and understand yeah. it if you if you can work from home rent something for six months mm. uh, and just really get into it and then start looking and take your time because these are big undertakings they are huge moves for many many people they cost a lot of money you, you do want to try and get it right and, and that again comes back to why I thought I'd share my thoughts in the book to try and offer you know some useful and I hope pertinent starters for 10 well, it would be very useful because I think a lot of people will be making... We're, we're recording this just before Christmas. 2021 offers all this hope of something fresh and new. And Fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last question really would be, you know, when people move to the country, as I have done, as you've done, you're settling into a new community mm. of which you don't necessarily have any roots with or belonging to. Yep. Um, do you have any advice on how to not upset the locals absolutely you, sort of, you know what i mean yeah like, totally they, they can yeah often be this oh incomers oh they're buying up all our nice 
listed buildings and yeah i i, I t- two things to that i think in in general there is a perception with some people that uh the countryside is is, is a rather closed shop and you have to sort of break into communities uh in my experience and i say this absolutely hand on heart and, and i spent most of my life living in a, a welsh-speaking mountain village in west wales the welcome is absolutely there the key thing is to take your time with it uh, if you um, arrive and then decide that you're going to get yourself elected to the parish council and start telling the locals how to do it because that's how you did it in yeah. wherever that is not going to go down income well. as energy <laughs> absolutely um, make the best of the community enjoy the company that it offers you if you think in time you've got something to offer in terms of the way the community runs um, then absolutely get involved they will always welcome good constructive help I say they, I, you know, I am part of this rural yeah. community. We see people coming in and out of here all the time. Um, and that's what you're after. Uh, and I think just respect the fact that it's, it, it's a community that's been around a lot longer than you have. Mm. And there is a DNA to it. There is a biography to that community. Get to know people, understand how it all fits together. But you will find a warm welcome in Pastures Green. I can absolutely assure you of it. And I think the thing I would always take away and I often say to people is that country life, a bit like gardening, if you like, y- you can have as much or as little of it as you want. And you can make as much of it or as little of it as you wish. You can come and live here and be a total recluse and not see anybody. Nobody's going to mind that. If you need some help, you will get it. Conversely, if you want to get involved, you will be welcome as well. But your advice is to take your time and not rush rush into sort of trying to take over things or, or, or sort of impose anything, which I think sounds like excellent advice in all, in all walks of life. Absolutely. But, but I mean, you wouldn't want it in your family. Why do you think yeah. your local parish is going to welcome it uh, in, in, in the one that yeah. you move to? But you hear these stories of people sort of, why aren't there any pavements in the village? And, oh, the, the noise of the church bells. And, oh, the cows are so... Oh, yeah. And, oh, we don't like the bonfires. We don't like yeah. tractors racing through the village. Yeah. If that really is a problem for you, you probably shouldn't be living in the countryside. <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, you know, you are going to something which you have to accept. Yeah. Um, you are not going to change it. This is a landscape across the UK which has always welcomed settlers from... Mm across its borders from beyond its borders over many centuries we are all a bit of something else we're part saxon part french part this part that you name it you know the flow of people through history has always been part and parcel of the way our landscape has developed and going back to that lovely view there are things out there you know which have been influenced you know by all manner of things through history and different eras Uh, so come and enjoy it respect it love it champion it invest in it and keep it going. Brilliant. Well, good luck, Jules. Thanks very much. Fergus, it's lovely to see you here, mate. Ah, You're welcome yeah. anytime you know that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll be back for coffee and some chainsawing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now, yes. Now we need to talk about your chainsawing. Yeah. So that was me and Jules talking about the rural dream. And for many people this year, it's kind of pushed them further down that, that sort of, they might have been thinking about leaving the city and heading to the countryside, but possibly after retiring or whatever. And now people are thinking about doing it now, leaving little flats in the cities, which they're paying enormous rent for, and going to perhaps, you know, cottage with roses around the door. (laughs) Um, I'm here in the virtual studio with my two very good friends, Jack Bateman, who produces the podcast, and Hannah Tribe, who's contributed to many of our lovely audio experiences over over the years. 
have you guys got your rural dream or are you are you already living the rural dream i mean i moved quite recently uh and uh i'm not that rural i'm outside of bristol so i'm kind of i'm sort of that i guess that midway i'm near the city but also kind of near the countryside so it's kind of an at the moment it's a nice mix for me it works well for what I need. The benefit of where I am at the moment is sort of at the end of my road is a little nature reserve, and so that's always nice to go over there for a little walk on a morning. Or it's got uh, it's quite a cool place anyway. With there's a group of uh, people that help sort of look after it and maintain it, and they're really looking to help help it survive. I guess this kind of nice sort of community nature reserve type. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. It's with all the building and development that's going on around here as well. It's really nice to see that there's people still actively trying to keep it developing. They've put a, an orchard in. Um, they did have some ash dieback, but they've already sort of countered that by planting trees ready, so that there's no loss of nature there. So that's quite nice having that on the doorstep at the moment. So you're you're halfway there, halfway to the countryside. And obviously we'll all be, we've been working at home all this year, so we can, well, it's what a lot of people are searching for, which is something deeper, something more meaningful, something that the countryside can give us a bit of freedom and perspective and beauty that perhaps we weren't getting in our commuter, commuting, office frantic lives. Now, <laughs> now our lives are just frantic at home, um, <laughs> which, is, which, which is interesting, but at least... I'm finding I can do walks every day, which is fantastic. Walks in the countryside every day. Lovely, lovely. And I've tried the rural dream. Uh, it turned into a bit of a rural nightmare, but that's a feature for down the line. Um, that sounds like a book in the making. It well, is. it's. I've definitely got a book of how not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and lessons lessons learned from the rural nightmare. No, it wasn't that bad. Um, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, young people, young people arriving in villages, moving to villages and bringing energy um perhaps children and schools would reopen in some of these small villages as you say transport links really vital and yeah just there might be a, that sort of sense of villages having a purpose beyond being because you know, people working in villages rather than retiring to villages would be a really nice thing and it wouldn't stop people retiring to the countryside which is absolutely wonderful and and why wouldn't you but i think they can sometimes having that sense of young energy back in back in remote parts would be i think only only beneficial beneficial any beneficial i think the countryside being somewhere that people live rather than something that people look at is an important thing that's the thing that'll make it last long term really when you're connected to it when you live there when you're kind of you're in it and you understand it that's what makes us look after it I guess the the is well the more people, especially younger people, that start to move out to the countryside. I guess that's only going to help how sort of approachable I guess the countryside is. How like, I lost the word I'm thinking of. Accessible. Accessible. Yeah, how accessible it is. I guess if if younger people are coming in there and it's becoming more of a normal thing, I guess for people that live in the city, it may be more of a normal thing to visit the countryside as not not as a weird thing to do. Yeah, so not sort of make a special holiday to go there. You can actually just normality of living there. And then perhaps there wouldn't be this division between town and country or this perceived division between townies and country bumpkins, which is the sort of as poisonous division that has sprung up particularly in the press. And it's a shame because uh, 
we, why don't we all get along? Um, I do think there's going to be a bit of like teething pains. I think there needs to be a generation of um, people sort of working stuff out for the first time before there's a generation of people who are sort of living in the countryside like in a way that is symbiotic because at the moment so I've seen people who have moved to my village for example who've got younger children and they are a bit intimidated by like plants it's sort of dangerous because it's muddy and rewild our children yeah that's that's a good point good point yeah there's a lot of that sort of people complaining about the noise of church bells or cow cow muck in the street or lack of pavements in the village i've heard that a lot it's of you've got to just i mean jules is very good on that you've just got to your first few years of moving to the countryside slowly you know, you'll be welcomed if you don't try and change things too quickly or at all and um <laughs> that is that's probably a truth for, for all life well the good news is we've gathered here again to rummage through the podcast post bag to see what lovely missives we've had from our listeners. We've had quite a few. Um, who'd like to kick us off? Um, I, in fact, I'm not going to open this up democratically. Hannah, what have you got for us today? Let me see what I can find in the podcast post bag. I have got our Distance Listener of the Week. Oh, excellent. Yeah, This follows on from last week's uh, listener from Pasadena in California. So who is it and where? Ali from Vancouver which I hear is in Canada. And she says, having just discovered your podcast, thank you for calling it the podcast, I wanted to thank you for its calming loveliness. I have a long commute to work, being one of the few who can't work from home. The drive is long, but the wonderful distraction of your rambles is a welcome companion. Plus, you're teaching me. Smiley face emoji. Thank you and your team, most especially as an antidote to our crazy world. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Ali. That's really heartwarming. And nice to know that you're getting something useful from from the rambles, <laughs> which... Um... <laughs> In more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, lovely. And, you know, as I said last week, we do have listeners all around the world. We'd love to hear from people who, who further afield. We're in, as we're in Bristol and South Wales, who's, you know, we'd love to hear from someone in the darkest Peru or... Antarctica. Who knows? Who knows where people are listening? We'd love to have a letter from Paddington. If we get Antarctica. That would make a really good podcast. An away day in Antarctica. Jack, how about you? Have you got anything from uh, deep in the post bag? Well, I've dived deep into the podcast post bag and I've got a uh, letter from the Walker of Miles. Great name. Excellent. And they're bringing up, again, I think one of the favourites, the Nightjar episode. Um, they're saying how brilliant it was, how much they've learnt from it. Look them up and uh, can see how truly wonderful they are. Um, they're going to listen to it again today and they just say, keep up the good work, Fergus. Never want to run out of episodes. And they thank you for a lot of other stuff, wow. uh, including lifting their sad, heavy heart. Well, that warms the cockles of my my heart. And lovely. It's really good. That just gives us all the impetus to keep going with these and know that they are helping and and giving people that opportunity to get outside when they can't physically get there themselves. So that's that's what we're aiming for. Um, I've got one from Alison Newsom, which is more of a sort of practical request. And she wanted to know whether podcasts can be done with really basic equipment, i.e. a phone and a microphone. So she's got an idea for a local podcast. 
about telling local stories and particularly about churches and church chants, which I think is a really good idea and definitely something we would probably include in our podcasts. And happy to chat, Alison, about maybe a collaboration down the line. But back on the subject of kit, um, well, actually, this is probably best answered by Jack, who's the tech expert on this podcast. Jack? I think the key is with podcasts, uh, it's sort of that style that quality isn't, necessarily the biggest factor if you can record something and the content's good people will still enjoy it like we've had some episodes i know with country far where they have been really windy which sometimes in other podcasts of different styles would be annoying and maybe put some people off but if you're enjoying the subject and enjoying what's being spoken about the sort of quality of that recording doesn't as matter as much so if you're passionate about it go out and if you're using your phone or whatever because that's what you've got at the moment just use that that's that will work people will still enjoy it if the content's good so that's it from the podcast post bag this week and sadly it's the very last episode of the current series we will be doing one more episode a christmas special between now and christmas day and then we're going to have a little break a little christmas holiday however we'll all be back in the new year with brand new series of podcasts and there's a whole new theme of this and the theme of our First series in 2021 is going to be water, which is quite exciting. And um, you'll have heard in the intro to this podcast, me sitting beside a holy well, and that will feature in one of the podcasts, my search for holy wells in the wilds of Wales. But we've also got, we've got lots of very interesting and very varied podcasts. We've got one from The Seven, where I go to meet the tidal wave called The Seven Boar that comes crashing up twice a day on certain days of the year. And that's a pretty exciting episode. Uh, Hannah, there's, there's, well, you're, you're contributing one this year, in this season. I am. I want to take you to my hometown in Swansea, and we're going to follow a little river down to the sea. And do some treasure hunting, which was the best bit. Yes. But no more secrets given away. So plenty, plenty of stuff to come, and um, hopefully a many more podcasts throughout 2021 to keep us all busy and to keep our listeners enjoying the countryside, having great escapes when they can't get there. So it just remains for me to say huge thank you for listening to the podcast this year. Have a very, very happy Christmas and a very happy new year. And it's goodbye from us.